listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, to daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 2nd of August, 2021. Later, would you pay $5 for a cup of coffee? You might have to. We'll tell you why in a few moments. But first, to the biggest ever takeover of an Australian company on the Australian share market, US payments operator Square, which is headed by the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey, has agreed to pay $39 billion for buy now, pay later company after pay. That's more than the $33 billion takeover of Westfield back in 2017 and more than the $30 billion being offered for Sydney airports earlier this year, which was rejected. Afterpay has 16 million customers globally, but most of those, more than 10 million, is in the US. For more, I spoke earlier with Nathan Somersundaram from Deep Data Analytics. I think it's quite significant. Uh, it's quite interesting for the sector. Um, we've all been waiting for something to happen in the sector. I think industry consolidation was expected, but definitely wasn't expected the way it has come out. Um, I think Square was always a player in the game. Afterpay was a dominant player in their part of the business. The bidding was interesting because there is a cross-selling upside, uh, but I think most people expected someone else to come into the space. So it is a quite a unique pair. It is the biggest corporate takeover on the share market's history, right? Why is it happening now? And why do you think Square? Yeah, look, I, th- I think it's an interesting play for both Afterpay and Square. And, you know, it tells you something about the sector when the management is um, accepting the deal so quickly uh, from Afterpay as well. They didn't go to play hardball. Um, and that tells you something's playing out. Look, I think the, the overall industry is at a mature, mature state and a lot of the stocks now are having to deliver and it's getting harder and harder. If you look at the share price for Square, it's pretty much gone sideways since December last year and afterpay has come off a bit. In February, all the buy now, pay letters peaked um, and everyone had a huge run. And remember, afterpay got to 160. So they're being taken over at 125, 130 odd. Uh, That's a discount to the peak. And all the growth stories and where this was headed, it's quite interesting that the management was willing to sell out that quickly without even looking for a a competitive bidder um, on the other side. So it's interesting for me. I think the sector was due for consolidation. This flags, there is going to be consolidations. There was always regulatory risk. But I think the buy now, pay later has got so big now, they're too big to fail. So the obvious thing for the regulators and for the industry is to have consolidation and with cross-selling with other players. Is there talk about who's next? Well, I think inevitably that's going to play out. Um, I mean, we've been a fan of Zip since the pullback. Remember, Zip's gone to $14 and it fell below $7. So it's had a much bigger pullback. I do like their model. I like their management, how they've gone about it. It's has a lot more quality control attached to the, uh, I suppose, the credit in however you want to put it into selling to customers. Um, And so I would say um, there is going to be a play. I think the industry will go through more consolidation and the cross-selling is the big thing. You want customer base, you need to acquire a lot more customers and you need to cross-sell. So I'd, I'd expect other players to come in and look at who are the partners where they can link up and use the technology. So this particular afterpay deal, it's all about continued growth, access to growing markets, and, and I guess that's the US at the moment. 
It is. I mean, everything hits back to the big customer base, and that is the U.S. Um, and it also because they are more of a point uh, transaction based model for Square. Uh, this allows them to add that extra feature into that sector. And the people who already have Afterpay, they can bring in their products. So the cross-selling is the huge thing. So that kind of makes sense. Um, and the other thing I would have expected is other players in the fintech space where they would have looked at, instead of developing their own product, why wouldn't they just take out someone like an Afterpay or a Zip and just add it on to their feature? Because it's already an existing product. The branding is already there. So I suspect the market will start to look at all the major players and say, who's the next one? Because I don't think the buy now, pay later players at the multiples they are in, it's really hard to see them deliver over the next three to four years being who they are. I think they need to be attacked to some other platform player. And just finally, profit reporting season heats up this week. What are you expecting the themes to be? We've already had a bit of a play in the miners telling us what we are expecting and the US numbers coming through. Um, I mean, the big, obviously the, the most crowded trade in the world is the US techs. And most of them actually underperformed after the result because the expectations are too high and the growth outlook wasn't as good as what the market expected. I think that's going to be the tricky question for the Australian reporting season. I think the miners will do well because you're in an inflation trade, commodity prices are high, they should be doing quite well. And they've already given the quarterly, so there's no real surprise there. I think the industrials are going to be the tricky one because they're gonna see higher costs and the growth rates are going to be a bit patchy with lockdowns and so forth. So I think the risk is where we are headed to the growth outlook statement and the cost statements. These are the key ones people are gonna be looking at. And all the miners are telling us cost in labor and energy and so forth have been going higher and higher and it's starting to bite in the margins. Nathan Somersundaram there from Deep Data Analytics and we saw Afterpay shares up by 19% today, Zip uh, stronger by 9%, all up it helped the Australian share market to rise, the S&P ASX 200 uh, gaining 1.3% to 7,491, that's a new record close, the market even reaching above 7,500 points briefly for the first time ever and that wasn't the only place we saw some takeover activity, we saw some um, merger and acquisition activity in the oil space. For more on that, I spoke earlier with Tony Sycamore from City Index. Tony, the market's really booming today. A new record. Is it all just after pay or is there something else there? Yeah, there's a really good feel about the market today. We've been trading sideways for about two months and this morning we had the news about Afterpay and also a, a link up in the uh, in the mining sector, of uh, the oil sector as well. We had Santos and Oil Search announcing an amalgamation there and it really is just that final catalyst that the market needed to push it out of this range that it's been trading in, pushed up to 7,500, which is the first time we've been above 7,500 ever and it was the catalyst which you spoke about after Afterpay and the M&A, which we're seeing coming through in the markets now that gave the market the push that it needed. Now, I spoke earlier in detail about Afterpay, but what, are, what about this Santos and oil search deal? How significant is that one? It's another. It's a. It's a great deal for both companies. Um, it puts both com what, the combined company would be amongst the top twenty largest companies in the world in that area. Um, it is really. It's been on the cards for a little while, and it's not a silly price either. We're seeing it pitched at about six percent higher than where oil search was trading on Friday. So in terms of what they've paid, um, it looks like a sensible deal. Forming another powerhouse, if you like, another mining powerhouse here in Australia, but this time rather than 
in the iron ore sector. We're seeing it in the energy sector, particularly in oil, which is a great thing, I think. Why do you think we're seeing so much merger and and, uh, acquisition activity right now? Good question. There's been a real effort by companies to stockpile cash after the pandemic, and they just wanted to fortify their balance sheets. They haven't really wanted to use the money which they've accumulated until the future, I guess, became a little bit more clear. The uncertainty created by COVID created some hesitation. Now, with COVID largely moving to the wind, to the back or the rear vision mirror, if you like, um, apart from here in New South Wales, of course, we're seeing some of the companies based outside of New South Wales start to take more assertive price action. We know interest rates are low. There's certainly some interest there from overseas companies in the ASX 200, and that's where we're seeing a combination. We saw local mergers come out earlier in the year, uh, Seven and Boral, for example. We've seen hostile takeover of Seven Airports as well, which was actually rejected. And and all of these funds are are cashed up. You know, we've got pension funds, we've got infrastructure funds sitting on truckloads of cash. We've got corporate sitting on truckloads of cash. And they either need to use that cash or do buybacks. And buybacks in many ways are an admittance that they just don't know what to do with that cash. And I think We want to see management do more with that cash stockpile, and that's what we're seeing come through at this point of time. So given all this activity, what does it say about the point of the market cycle that we're in right now, and what does it mean for investors? There has been some real ring-the-bell moments in terms of market cycles with big M&A coming through at the top of markets. But this time, I think it's different. You know, we're looking at, as I said, cashed up companies. This isn't a debt fueled binge by any stretch of the imagination. Companies are using equity. They're using script. Um, it's not like what we've seen in the past. And when we look at how low interest rates are, when we look at how much cash these companies are sitting on, I think it's very different. You know, the first six months of this year, we certainly saw, a, 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 I guess, a glimpse of what was to lay ahead. For the second six months of this year, I think we're going to see more of these companies looking to try and exploit opportunities between either like-minded companies or companies where they can see there has been some weakness created either through the, the pandemic or potentially they're looking at growth areas, particularly in IT and telecos. Tony Sycamore there from City Index. Now, are you prepared to pay $5 for a cup of coffee? You might have to in the new year. That's because the price of coffee beans have reached a near seven-year high, and that's on the back of bad weather in Brazil. For more, I spoke earlier with Rabobank's Carlos Mira. If you look at the futures market, which is a sort of average of Arabica prices, we're looking at two US dollars per pound. And that's a 30% higher versus what prices were one or two weeks ago. And the main factor in the last week was a frost that hit Brazil, the, the Brazilian Arabica belt. Now, coffee trees are very susceptible to frost and uh, some trees can die, especially young trees. But also uh, what we saw across the belt is heavy defoliation, which is the, the major factor. And, and that will mean uh, less production for next year. So do you think this increase in prices, is that likely to be sustained? So production is lower. So uh, I think prices are uh, going to be relatively elevated. I do believe coffees might come down, but I have to say we have another frost expected in the coming days. We have to wait and see what what the weather will be like. Um, But also there are a number of factors that have been pushing coffee, coffee prices higher over the last year, uh, we have seen a massive increase in shipping costs, particularly from Southeast Asia uh, to different regions in the world, in containers, 
um, we have seen uh, three months or more uh, of protests in Colombia that preventing coffee from being exported. The May monthly export volume of coffee was the lowest in 40 years. So those are huge events. Now, the export situation out of Colombia is getting better, but container shipping prices are still very, very expensive. We will expect a normalization, but it's not going to be immediate, maybe next year. So for the consumer and for the, the business operator that deals or uses coffee and coffee beans, what does it mean for them, do you think? Will businesses, for example, have to bear the brunt of these costs or will the consumer have to pay higher prices for a cup of coffee? Well, that, that really depends on the brand and, and, and the power they have to pass on uh, the cost to consumers. Um, now, if we're talking about uh, pack, packaged coffee sold in supermarkets, uh, um, and if we're talking about the cheapest brands, uh, then the cost of coffee beans is probably about 50%, up to 50% of the cost of the product. So if because the price increase in coffee beans was so strong, it will have to be passed on to the consumers. It may take a little bit of time. Some companies are hedged, so, so they can weather the price increase for a little bit of time. And some supermarkets may actually, you know, uh, negotiate the price increase or, or ask that the price increase is delayed, but, but it will happen sooner or later. Uh, now, when we talk about coffee shops, that's a completely different uh, uh, story because then the, the cost of the coffee beans is probably only three, four, maybe five percent of the cost of your uh, frappuccino or your latte or your cappuccino. So, so, so they are, you know, it's, it's a much. If, if there is an increase, it's going to be much smaller, maybe you know, less than two percent or so because of the coffee beans. However, I have to say that coffee shops are seeing a number of challenges. Uh, labor shortages, uh, they, they are seeing increase in the, in the price of milk, they are seeing increase in, in wages and so on. So, so it's a much more complex story. We may see some increases because of the coffee beans, but it's going to be very little. And if we take in consideration or focus on the fact that the story is about the latest issues we're seeing in Brazil, and that's one of the reasons why we saw the increase in price over the past two weeks, is that going to have an impact long-term on the quality of coffee beans? Yes, uh, absolutely, because um, roasters may not get enough Arabica coffee beans from Brazil. So, so, so they will have to take a decision and they will have to decide whether they will buy better uh, uh, coffee beans, uh, maybe from countries that produce more or less similar uh, uh, coffee or even a little bit uh, uh, better tasting quality than Brazil because they probably grow at higher altitudes like Honduras, like, like, like Peru, those will be the obvious uh, uh, replacements. But there's so much coffee there and it's much more expensive. Uh, so some roasters may decide to uh, go for uh, lower quality beans, like for example, Robusta uh, coffee beans. I think the consumers are going to notice the difference. Carlos Miro there from Rabobank. Don't forget you can listen to this as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or the SBS radio app. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. 
It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.